Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and from time to time I try to introduce you to people in the industry who aren't exactly household names. They have key jobs, but they don't really get much recognition. Well, one is the character actor. Not everybody can star in shows. There are plenty of actors who cobble together a very good living playing guest star roles on series or supporting roles in movies. And one of the best, and certainly one of the funniest, is Paul Wilson. Now, according to his IMDb page, he has been in 128 different TV series or movies, and some with multiple roles. Now, you may know him best from Cheers, where he played Paul, you know, the heavy set guy with the glasses and the suspenders. You've seen him. I know you've seen him. Anyway, he was also a semi-regular on the Gary Shandling show, Malcolm in the Middle, and Laverne and Shirley. He has been in such shows as Big Bang Theory, Golden Girls, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry Sanders, a host of movies, and he is one of the best improvisers in the city of Los Angeles. And again, you you see him and you go, oh, yeah, I know that guy. I know that guy. Well, he's a very interesting guy, and you'll meet him right now. Paul Wilson, my guest this week on Hollywood and Levine. So first of all, you've been in all of these shows. Do you get recognized when you're walking around the mall? Do people recognize you? I get recognized for cheers more than anything else. But I get recognized for Office Space number two, uh-huh. and then some weirdos remember it's Gary Shandling show and stuff. So you know, when Cheers just went off the air, I was recognized a lot. We used you on Cheers on and off from the beginning until the end, and as I seem to recall, you were given different names. <laughs> you, they, we finally <laughs> settled on Paul, but early on there was a barfly named Paul, and we had to give you another yeah. name. Well, I remember in the first show I did where I was, where I knew all the words to Bonanza, but I didn't, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I was, I was Greg, but, uh, but coach called me Glenn, I'm sure because he was, you know, Glenn Charles. And then I, I had a couple other names. Yeah. But you know what happened in the middle there? I don't know how much they told you when I started doing it's Gary Shandling show, they said they didn't want me to do a recurring role in anything else. So, uh, so I had to stop doing cheers. Then you came back. And we started giving you more and more to do. And I always felt bad because I felt you were like one season away from joining (laughs) (laughs) the regular cast. I mean, by that final season, we were doing whole B stories with Paul. (laughs) I've learned by that point, I'd been in the business for about 20 years or more. 
and I knew that uh, nothing mattered except what actually happens. You know, so or mm-hmm. as, you know when the cat when the check clears, that's when you know something's real, right? <laughs> so, but I was look, it was a great it was a great job nonetheless, and I was getting better money. Yeah, we wrote an episode that uh, you were in. That's one of my favorites, even though some people of a certain age don't get the joke. But we had you going out with a girl named Paula, and there was that whole. Right. Paul and Paula run from the song. Hey, Paul. Hey, Paula. And people in the bar didn't know, you know, what was going on. And um, you played that so deadpan, like you didn't know what that song was. (laughs) And just your reaction to it was so funny. (laughs) Maybe that was just not acting. I don't know. Was this the Chubby Chaser episode? Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was fun for me anyway because she leaned over at one point between uh, between takes and said, "You know, I really am a chubby chaser." <laughs> <laughs> but she also said she was married to an overweight guy. Oh, so <laughs> and you were married as well. So yeah, that's true. I love the um, blow off line on that old run though, which was when when Norm walked in, she said he really fills his pants. I mean, that was a great line. Did you write that one? I don't remember writing that specific line, but uh, sure, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm confusing this with a regular conversation. Yeah. So I have to be a little careful now. <laughs> you talked about uh, being on the Gary Shandling show, and we've had a number of people yeah. who have worked with Gary in various capacities as writers or actors. Very complex, interesting guy. What was it like working with Gary Shandling? Whether it was Zen or what, some people thought he was passive aggressive. And I think he exhibited certain signs of passive aggressiveness. I know you talked to Mike Reese, so he was there for the writer's end of dealing with Gary. Mm -hmm. But uh, I met Gary in, in a workshop conducted by Dee Marcus, who was the director of Off the Wall. And I, he was trying out stand-up. It was just when he was very, you know, getting, you know, just beginning in, in stand-up. And he called me because he was doing a special that Mike Nesmith was. It was Mike Nesmith's show, TV Parts. From the Monkees. Oh, yes, right. <laughs> yes. He wanted me to play a Mercedes mechanic, but I couldn't do it. So then when he was doing the, it, the Gary Shandling show 25th anniversary special, he called me to read for one of the guests and he enjoyed working with me so much that he said, why don't you be my sidekick? So, so that's how, really how I got to know Gary. And it was a pretty intense process for those couple of weeks we were shooting. And, uh, and it was actually great working with him. He gives you, he gave you a lot of work to, to work with, you know, there was a lot of improvisation, but on the other hand, I went to do a shot on, on Larry Sanders once and I was finished in the morning. He said, uh, "Let's stick around. We'll 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 talk this afternoon. You know, we'll, we'll hang out for a while." So I waited on the set for three hours after we finished. After everybody broke for lunch, I'm sitting there waiting, 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 and he never came. And apparently, that was sort of a <laughs> typical, you know. <laughs> I could see where he would like you because you're very real. <laughs> you know, I tried. <laughs> you know, I mean, but yeah, you you don't mug. Your comedy is very low-key and very deadpan, and you're like a real guy. Well, you know, I was really lucky because I never had thought about being an actor 
in the first place. And in school, I was on the stage crew in junior high and I was on the sound crew in high school and I was really sort of a techie and actually recorded radio programs for the Pacific Radio Station in Berkeley. I was in San Francisco and did stuff like build a high-fly set, all that kind of thing. And then after I left college, some friends of mine from high school said, we're starting this improv group because this woman is coming out. Her husband just joined the committee and she wants to direct uh, an improv show. So I got into this workshop and it was totally by accident. But the, the lucky part for me is that she was very based in truthfulness. The way she directed us, the way she put this show together was, was based on truthfulness and not going for the joke. And, you know, so I think that was without having any training. I'm an untrained actor. I think that was helpful in some ways and hurts in other ways when I have to do certain things that like come through a door. <laughs> you know, little <laughs> That's things very sometimes. difficult to do. <laughs> well, it depends, you know. I mean, <laughs> is there the Meisner like technique? <laughs> Meisner's opening door technique was horrible. <laughs> Nina Fosch, much better. <laughs> Who are some of the okay. other people that you worked with? People in the committee uh, at that time were, were uh, Roger Bowen was the person that I knew, and his wife Anne was the director, and uh, other people like Peter Bonners and uh, Hamilton Camp and uh, Ruth Silvera and Julie Payne. But in my group, almost nobody actually went on to pursue a career in Hollywood. You know, but we did play the Ashgrove a few times, and then we opened a club where the improv is now. It was called the Pitchell Players Cabaret. And uh, a lot of people were discovered there, actually. Like, uh, I think Frank and Davis were discovered there. Okay. Um, the credibility gap did a lot of stuff there. When did you move down to Los Angeles from San Francisco? 76. So you're in L.A., you're doing improv, and you get involved with Off the Wall, which is a group you mentioned, Dean Marcus, started it. You worked with some pretty great people in Off the Wall. Oh, yeah. And, and some, people, some really great people left right as I was joining, too. Chris Thompson and Mark Sotkin and Judy Pioli all went on to be have have very successful writing careers. Mm -hmm. Robin Williams was with us for a year, and, and John Reed used to come and guest. Yeah, so uh -huh. yes, <laughs> those were those were heady days. You know, we we were looking at a little dance studio on Fairfax, and when they were going to be there, and the word always got out, the place would be jam packed to the rafters. When they weren't there, nothing. And then also they. We're on a different plane from us. You know what I'm saying? So No, I know because I was in some of those workshops with you guys. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I remember. The very first time I ever did improv, my partner and I had a show, had a pilot about like a Nichols and May improv team. So I called DeMarcus and I said, can I interview you and talk to you about improv? And she said, no. But you can come and take a class. You'll gain a lot more by participating than just listening to me talk. So I said, okay. And she said, come on Thursday night. So I came on Thursday night, not knowing that that was her performance night. And my first night, it's you and Robin Williams and all these incredible people. And, and I'm thrown in the middle of this. And it was only after... Uh, I did it for like maybe five, six weeks 
you know, that was like, you know, basically swimming upstream. But after five, six weeks, then I found out, well, she also has a beginner's class on Tuesday. I was like, well, <laughs> well <laughs> would you put she, me in uh, that? Didn't you, she didn't want you to come to the beginner's class. No, no. I mean, she wanted me to swim your, in the deep end. <laughs> but you're funny in your bones. So that's something you can't teach. And I, I guess she figured, you know, yes, the deep end. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm still doing improv. So uh, it, it didn't scare me off. What are some of the lessons <laughs> learned from improv? Well, you have to be flexible. If something happens just mm-hmm. to respond and also just the way you work with other actors just being open and you know actually listening well one thing about improv groups back in the 50s and 60s and and i guess it stems from chicago a lot is that you really needed to know literary references historical references knowledge of theater and film styles author styles as well as current events and pop culture and it seems to me that the young improv groups and they're very talented young people but it's all pop culture and there's really a richness that's missing as a result well you know the world changed (laughs) not only improv and i would say that uh for one thing the the birth of the compass players which preceded second city and then second city itself right were centered around the university of chicago and had a student audience largely Mm-hmm. And uh, they were just doing the stuff that the audience was interested in because they were taking suggestions. Now, these were people who were predisposed to working with intellectual concepts as well as whipped cream getting all over your head. I don't know, but um, <laughs> just, uh, observational, yes, social humor. But uh, but also, well, I think I think Animal House has a lot to do with it because Animal House basically changed comedy in America, certainly. Um, in what way? Well, for one thing, it emphasized anarchy. And let's not even say amorality, just being crazy, screwing with people, and even being a jerk, but being the sympathetic character, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Belushi, Belushi's a monster in that movie, but I think it sort of cracked everything open. So that the idea of trying to just do sort of a, like a drawing room comedy, like a Noel Coward kind of thing. And it does, it is a long shot if you want to get anyone to come and see it. And I think that's what it is. I think it's what has appealed to the audience. And also it it just, people don't get educated the way they used to, you know? Yeah. And they don't have, they grew up with TV. I grew up with radio and books. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate also that my parents had, they had books by Robert Benchley and Bennett Cerf. So I, I started reading humor material when I was really young, way before I really understood a lot of it. But, but that but adds a level like, of richness to the to the comedy because you can do the other stuff too. You can do the anarchy, but if you don't have the the background, if you don't have the chops, you can't do author styles and things like that, which to me is is pretty amazing. When I watch some of you guys do this, um, you know, like I said, I've been doing it for a long time and I'm not in your league <laughs> and never will be. Well, I was and in I'm the okay minors with for that long... now. <laughs> and I was in the minors for a long time. <laughs> I think I started doing it in 66, and I don't think I ever made a dime until really 74. And uh, and I probably didn't deserve that one. 
<laughs> Wait, people I did a you? movie in 69, but, you know, I did a movie called Strawberry Statement. I remember that. You, yeah, the uh, 1960s revolutionary college, that type yeah, of thing. Yeah, with Bruce Davison. And, yeah. Well, okay. I, you wouldn't recognize me, though, because I was wearing a pig mask. <laughs> <laughs> that was you. <laughs> that was you. Yeah, office space and the pig mask. <laughs> the, the, the mask had just been glued by whoever department was doing it. And I would faint if I tried to put it on. So I made them white. They were really angry at me for holding up shooting because I didn't want to die. <laughs> first lesson in uh, you've become an actor. There you go. <laughs> on your very first project. Yeah, I noticed in looking at your various acting credits, and you have 128 different acting credits, many of them multiple, but some of the movies that you have been in, you mentioned Office Space, but then you were also in the Devonsville Terror, My Best Friend is a Vampire, 976 Evil, Plughead Rewired Circuitry Man (laughs) 2. Are you yeah, saluted so, by the AFI anytime soon? I, I'd like to tell you who else was in some of those movies. <laughs> Donald Pleasance. Okay, <laughs> yeah, the there's way. a name. Yeah. Miles, Tony Curtis. Uh-huh. I played Tony Curtis's uh, dog's body in Brainwaves. His dog's body? Well, you know, his... his Is that on your reel? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I was I read for this thing. And I didn't get it. And then I got this call. Come come to Redlands to the so-and-so motel because uh, we're going to have another audition. And I go there, and it turns out I got the job. And what happens is I'm in a motel room, and Tony Curtis walks in <laughs> with the director and says, I don't want to say all these lines. I don't want to say all these words. So he gave basically he gave me all of his dialogue so that he could, you know, pose. So <laughs> I had a lot to say. It was a silly movie. The first scene we shot with me anyway, Uli Lomel was the director, who said, go write something. You, you, you can't do what you thought you were going to do, so you have to do something else instead, okay? Go off and write it. <laughs> <laughs> In Germany, he was associated with Herzog and Fassbinder and all those other guys. But then he came to America and started making exploitation films. But uh, it was fun. I learned a lot about movie making by working with him. He also did Devonsville Terror. Okay. 976 yeah, Evil was done by, by uh, Robert England, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street guy. Now, when you're doing all of these different, especially television shows, where, yeah. you know, as a, a guest star, you come in and it's got to be like a kid going to a new school every week because here is this cast here is this crew they have their own process and you somehow have to fit right in and that has to take some adjusting especially from week to week and show to show it depends on the show because sometimes they're very welcoming to guests and other times mostly the regulars are standoffish but i did of course i can't remember his last day now ted you know ted from uh Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh, uh, Ted Knight. Yeah, Ted Knight. His show, Too Close for Comfort. Mm-hmm. And he was just like a papa. He was the warmest guy. He was nice to everybody. He wanted to make sure everybody was comfortable. There was no problem on that set. But there were other sets, and I, I don't even remember 
I tend to block those where, where, yeah, I felt like a fifth wheel the whole time and didn't ever get, well, I did a show called Oh Madeline. That was Madeline Kahn's show. Mm -hmm. And she wouldn't make eye contact with me. Wow. <laughs> Which was strange. Wow. <laughs> that was an interesting show. Maybe not to everybody else. I was a Johnny Mathis impressionist, vocal impressionist. Okay. Uh, and they wanted to do a surprise for her birthday. So they had Johnny Mathis, the actual Johnny Mathis, come to the door and make and do a star turn. Johnny Mathis went to my high school. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a weird coincidence. And uh, and also it was the night before I got married. So and he and he sang a great song and I mean, it was really sort of romantic and odd and like a like a you know a planetary convergence or something. And you had to to do Johnny Mathis with Johnny Mathis there? No, no, no. No. <laughs> I think they played a track of Johnny Mathis singing for my entrance. Ah. Uh, but then, yeah, he came to the door. I don't know. Okay. I just, uh, this is good to know because otherwise I would have you sing Chances Are right now. <laughs> <laughs> Chances Are. Well, when I was in junior high school where he also went before me, mm -hmm. they played his records in the cafeteria, you know. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, the yeah. big star. Yeah. yeah. And his brother was going in my class, so. Johnny, I mean, Michael Mathis. So, anyway. My high school, we had members of the Electric Prunes and Strawberry Alarm Clock. <laughs> they did not play uh, Electric Prunes songs in the uh, cafeteria. Yeah, it really is. And Danny Glover. We had uh, quite a few well-known people went to my high school. Well, we had Lisa Kudrow and Jan Smithers from WKRP in Cincinnati and Robin Yount. And they kind of have like this whole list of famous people from yeah. Taft High School. I'm not on it. <laughs> I'm not on the George Washington High School list either. But Maya Angelou is. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> well, you, you need to impersonate her. <laughs> now, I noticed it's one thing to be a semi-regular on a show. But going through, I noticed that you were a semi-regular on two different series, but you were playing the same character. You were Officer Zajac in Pigsty and yeah. George and Leo. Now, it was the same executive producers, Rob Long and Dan Staley, yeah. but I've never heard of that, of like a character crossover going from one series to another. He was Officer Zajac, who was named after Barry Zajac, who was their assistant. Mm -hmm. I was a sheriff in George and Leo. Let's get that straight. Oh, so you were Sheriff Zajac. I was Deputy Zajac in, the, uh, in, 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 in um, yeah, George and Leo. Of all the shows you've done and all the various roles you've done, uh, is there one that stands out as your favorite? Well, Cheers, obviously, is one. I really liked... It's Gary Shandling's show. I got a lot of room to play in that, and I'd say those are the those are the two best ones. But I also enjoyed doing three different parts on Larry Sanders, you know. And I, oh, and I did a I did an episode of um, Curb Your Enthusiasm that I really liked, where I played a restaurant critic. And oh yeah, so, that's the one where he threw a ball and broke your thumbs. Right. Yeah. That's now, very if funny. Remember, if you've seen that episode. There's a sort of a preview of me at playing in his bedroom on the TV screen, uh -huh. doing a review. Right. I wrote that review. 
There you go. Yeah, there I go. <laughs> there you go. So go off and write something. Yes, exactly. Yes, just go off and write something. Deja vu, whatever that is in German. <laughs> well, one thing about being a character actor is it's not the most stable profession in the world. But on the other hand, you get to play a lot of different roles, and there's probably a lot of advantages in that. As long as you start getting these parts, which you have, like I said, 128 different ones. And in many of these, you had a recurring character. So you've worked quite a lot. Yeah, I, you, know, you know, like every actor's career, unless they're really like solid as the Rock of Gibraltar, there are ups and downs. But my feeling about this always has been either I'll have a lot of money or a lot of free time. And I always hated routine. I could never stand to work in an office. I did for a few years when I was, you know, in the 60s. But I never had to do another job when I moved down here. So for me, that's success. I never had to have a day job. And and I own a home. <laughs> so <laughs> Character actor who owns a home, it's a Hollywood success story. <laughs> well, I think I, do, I really, I feel bad for, for kids who are coming to town now because the business has changed so much and it's so hard to make any money. Yeah. Even if you get work, you know, that's true. And it's also it used to be a cheap place to live when I came here, but now it's super expensive. Now, you had mentioned to me that you're on Cameo and that you do those Cameo things for people. So you certainly have a certain recognition factor. If people are paying money to have you wish them a happy birthday. Well, you know, honestly, the thing is. I don't often know if, if I'm with somebody like my wife, we go out somewhere. She'll usually say there are people looking at you. Uh-huh. But I've always been self-conscious. So, I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have mixed feelings. About that. But the, here's a weird thing. Well, you know, when when we were doing the thing in Boston and I listened to your podcast with George and uh, <laughs> the description of what, what happened there. But but walking around Boston, people would be yelling out, Paulie, Paulie. Mm-hmm. And the confusing thing is if the character's name is your name, you don't know if it's somebody who knows you or somebody who knows you from the show. Right. So, uh, it, it, so it was pretty obvious in Boston that it was people who knew me from the <laughs> show. <laughs> but my one regret about that whole time was that I hardly had any time to examine Boston. I like to like to walk around and see what oh, it's yeah, like. Oh, yeah, it was there. like you guys were the Beatles. It was insanity. Yeah. I was like Pete Best, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Hanging on by a stick, you know. (laughs) But but it was great. I remember we're sitting in the lobby of the hotel, which I think was the Four Seasons. And most of the people in the cast were there and Jimmy was there. And I said, maybe this is the best time to say, I really appreciate it. He said, Jimmy said, no, it's the worst time. (laughs) Because you know the way Jimmy is. He's always so (laughs) comforting. Right. (laughs) Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Yeah, I remember that lobby and the elevator door opening and one of the Cheers writers, Mert Rich, walking out of the elevator with Ethel Kennedy. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, Afternoon Delight? I don't know. Yeah. Ethel Kennedy. It's like, well, this this isn't surreal enough. (laughs) Well, you know, downstairs... Somebody introduced me to the whole family. There were like twelve people from the Kennedys there, uh-huh. and uh, and she's she she was very nice. She said, "You're one of my favorite characters." Ah, yeah. well, you were fun to write for, well, Paul and Paula, 
(laughs) (laughs) And it's been a treat having you. And I've loved watching you do improv for all those years. That's how I knew you originally. And among your credits, and I don't know why you don't list this first. I don't know why this isn't in your reel, but you did a guest spot on Aftermash. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find a clip. <laughs> and I don't think one exists. <laughs> yeah, it was too bad. Well, I, I think 20th think... burned the negatives. Oh. Uh, well, you know, 20th, 20th tried to bury Office Space, I think. Um, did they really? They, you look back, what a great movie that was. They just didn't get great. it? And I, you know, it's, it's one of the few movies that I was in that I really enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because it's done with a sort of a cartoon sensibility so the sets are very simple they're not overdressed there's it's all very i don't know it's sort of classic let me put it that way you know mm-hmm. and and the performances are so good i mean diedrich bader geez i mean that's a wonderful <laughs> character you know <laughs> and uh i mean i i thought that's what he was like that's the first thing i ever saw him in uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> they booked it uh, at the theaters in L.A. at the Maltese for one week and then backed it up with uh, with Analyze This. So regardless of how well it did, it had to move out for that. But I didn't like the campaign either, which was uh, the guy plastered with Post-it notes. So was it word of mouth? Did it take a while for that movie to catch on? Did it take three or four months? You look back at it now, and it's it's iconic. It's a classic. And you go, how could somebody not find that funny? Well, the best thing for me, actually, yes, it was probably several months. But I got I had people talking to me who had seen it before it was released and said it was great. You know, So I was really surprised mm-hmm. when it did so poorly at the box office. But it turned out to be a windfall for me because if people wanted to see it, they had to watch cable. They had to buy DVDs. They had to do all those things that I get residuals for. Ah. So as a result, the back end was really strong on that movie, you know, uh-huh. and it's still coming in. But you must little- get residuals for shows, and you're going, Jesus, a dollar eighty-five. What was this? <laughs> what what show was this that I did? I've gotten I've gotten residual checks for several shows at once. Uh-huh. They actually have minus items on them. <laughs> <laughs> Where they want money from you? <laughs> <laughs> well, they they deduct it from the other money. But uh-huh. I've gotten, I've got, I have actually a check for zero somewhere. Uh, you beat me. It. One cent is uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's my lowest check. <laughs> Although I did once get a letter from MTM that said we have audited our books from 1976 and we overpaid you 14 cents. Would you please (laughs) send us 14 cents? Uh, They're they're still waiting for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's really insane. Well, that whole structure is insane because I don't know how much money they spend processing residuals and to mail a, a, a seven cent residual, they got to print the thing. They got to put postage on it. It has to, to be five to $10 as to yeah, cost yeah. them five to $10 to send you now, a penny. At least, uh, the SAG after has switched if you want it to direct deposit, but the check still has to come to right. them. Right. Know? They have to process it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but you know why it is? It's because, 
they cheated us. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. You know, and we have to keep an eye on them. That's why it is. So, I mean, at one point, uh, a cable network who shall be unnamed actually did not pay residuals until somebody complained that they weren't getting their residuals. Then they would pay. Yeah, my partner and I wrote the movie Volunteers, and that played on ABC and HBO and local stations all over the place, and we didn't see any money. And and I called the Guild about a month later. My partner and I both got these giant checks that I never would have received had I not gone after it myself. Even from the broadcast networks, huh? Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing. It was the studio. The studio well, just... Jerry Shanley show, something happened where the, we weren't getting the after residuals. And uh, Scott Nemus, who played the kid, and I, researched from TV Guide magazines, back issues, to find out when it had run on Comedy Central, I think, is where it was running in reruns. Okay. Mm-hmm. And all, but also foreign, you know. And we actually went after them and got thousands of dollars for everybody in the cast. But of course, at that time, after said, well, you've got to prove that they owe it to you, you know. Yeah, nice, nice. That's <laughs> they, your they, union. Go by produce, they go by yeah. producer's records, right? Uh-huh. So, so we did. We got all the dates. You know? They have your back. Well, yeah. Paul, this has been great. Thank you so much. Ken, it's been a pleasure for me, too. So ends another podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Bruce and Jason Miller, Howard Hoffman, and John Wolfert. You can write me at HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine, Instagram, Hollywood, and Levine. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine.